0: Matthew 5, we'll continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We want to read verses 20 through 24. And we'll title this message tonight, The Danger of Anger. The Danger of Anger. Jesus said, "'For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment.'" And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us tonight as we come to this portion of your word. and. And uh, I just thank you for the Sermon on the Mount that we have, Lord, from the words of the Lord Jesus. And I just pray that we would learn and grow and just come each Wednesday as we sit at, your, at the feet of Christ and, and at the Word of God that He spoke and uh, there on the Sermon on the Mount and that we would just drink Him in, that we would feast and taste of His Word that we would learn of his personhood, and that we would learn from his lips and, and see his heart and see, Lord, what he has to teach us. Father, may your Spirit, Lord, guide us tonight and teach us all truth. And I pray that you'd open our eyes to see the glorious words of Christ and help us, Lord, to understand them, help us to love them, help us to follow them, to hide it in our hearts so we don't sin against you. Help us, Lord, to grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. Help us to be more like Him. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, now, in our last lesson on the Sermon on the Mount, we uh, already spoke of verse 20, but it's important before we go further into the Sermon on the Mount, especially with chapter 5, that we kind of reestablish some things from a a couple weeks ago. Jesus says in verse 20 that unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, then we can by no means uh, enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, as stated in our last uh, lesson, this would have been like dropping uh, a bomb on them. And that culture at that moment, uh, because the Pharisees, that the scribes were viewed as, in their day, as the most righteous of men. And so, all of a sudden, for Jesus to say, You've got to be more righteous than them, automatically the natural man's going to start thinking, Oh man, I've got to be a lot better than I am. I've got to be better than they are. They were supposedly, supposedly, I say, all about the keeping of God's law, at least in appearance before others. However, as we already seen in our last lesson, that they were not as righteous as they appear to be because Jesus tells us that they, uh, that they did the little things to appear righteous, but they left off the weightier things of the law, like justice, mercy, and faith. So they're really good about keeping the small things of the law to look righteous, but they were leaving a lot undone. They also had traditions that allowed them to ultimately disobey God's commands. We've seen that in Mark chapter 7, uh, where they did allowed certain things, but actually it created a spirit where they could disobey God's commands. So first, the perceived outward righteousness that many saw was not all that great anyway, okay? Not as, not as great as they thought. Now Jesus is going to show them that not only did the Pharisees not keep the law outwardly, they also did not apply the inner principles of the law inwardly in their teaching. Jesus is teaching them about a righteousness that needs to be within, something that they were not getting. Weren't they all about the outside? And he does this all the way until the end of chapter 5. He's going to be teaching them the right way to apply the law. The Pharisees appeared to apply the law outwardly, but in their teaching they did not apply the principles of the law inwardly. And Jesus is about to make it very clear that God requires a righteousness that exceeds the outward righteousness of the Pharisees, that exceeds an outward expression of righteousness. God requires one an inward righteousness, listen, of perfection. When you look at what God actually requires, He requires perfection. Now, when you look at what Jesus says in verse 20... Then we've got a whole list of Jesus, I think six times, saying, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you, what he's doing, he's correcting the Pharisees. He's not correcting the Old Testament law. It's important to understand that. He's correcting what they have been taught by the Pharisees. So he deals with that all to the rest of the chapter, and then, and then at the end of the chapter, after he just gave his, his last, you have heard it said, at the end of the chapter, in verse 48, he says this. Look at that verse. Therefore, after he talks about all these different things that they were teaching, misapplying, therefore, you shall be perfect. Think about that in light of verse 20, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, let me say this. Though Jesus alone and through Jesus alone, I should say, Can we have a righteousness that exceeds beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees? It is really only through Christ. When you talk about how we stand before God, when we have faith in Christ, we are recipients of His righteousness. Judicially, how God sees us from a point of a judge, we are completely righteous in the sight of God in Christ. I think we know that. We have His righteousness imputed to our account. But also, because we are born again by the Spirit of God and we have His Spirit in us, we desire a righteousness that far exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. We desire a righteousness internally. And that righteousness does exceed the Pharisees. Now we know the righteousness of Christ that we have exceeds the Pharisees, but I'm telling you, God's people today... Have, apart from judicial standing before God, have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees because their righteousness was all about what man seemed. Their righteousness was all, was all about appearing righteous before others. The people of God who have the Holy Spirit in them, they desire an internal righteousness. They open up the book and don't just want to pick pieces of it to look righteous before people. They want the Word of God in their hearts and want to be right within And that is a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. We hunger and thirst to have a heart after righteousness. And when we are righteous, now we know we are righteous before God in Christ. And when we are righteous before God in Christ, we have implanted within us a new heart that yearns for righteousness within. That's one of the ways you know that you've been born again to the Spirit of God because The old man, it does not yearn after righteousness. It doesn't yearn after purity of heart before God. And that righteousness does exceed the Pharisees. The righteousness that the Pharisees had did not make them righteous before God. Ours that we have in Christ does. The righteousness of the Pharisees ignored the weightier matters of the law and did not apply them to the heart. The new heart that we have received in the new birth seeks to have an inward righteousness. And as I said, that too is a greater righteousness than the Pharisees. Now with all that, let me get to what Jesus is doing from from verses 21 all the way to 47. He is showing that the teaching and application of the law that the Pharisees and scribes had, did not go far enough. They only applied to the external. Jesus just deals with a few issues to prove this point and just some the of their teachings. The first one He deals with is murder. Murder. Now when we look at what Jesus says in verse 21 through 24, one thing we should see is that even if we have never physically murdered someone, we are, st- we are still guilty of having a murderous heart if we've ever had anger that is without cause. Now, that's what Jesus says. You see, it could be really easy for us to become self-righteous when we only look at the law as thou shalt do no murder. I've never murdered anybody. That, I've kept that one. Jesus says, let me tell you more about that commandment. And see... The Pharisees could maybe keep that one, which they didn't do that too well (laughs) with Jesus, right? But anyhow, and we might think we can keep that pretty good. And I'm sure none of us here tonight is murdering anybody, least I hope not. Um, But Jesus applies it more. Why? Because Jesus cares about the heart behind the action. He sees within. He sees the internal So we may have not ever murdered anybody, but have we ever had anger that we realize that towards someone that we later realize, you know what, I was never justified in my anger. I really should not have been mad. Just in case you think that you are righteous enough to enter the kingdom of heaven because you've never murdered somebody, have you ever had the kind of anger that Jesus talks about? Because God requires perfection outwardly and inwardly to get into heaven, right? Well, we, And that's, that's another one of the things he's showing is that when you look at the law really and what the heart behind it, the spirit of it, not just the letter of it, you see that we've all failed. All of us have. And Christ is all of our righteousness judicially to stand right before God let's ask this question in regards to murder. Why is murder wrong? Murder is wrong uh, for many reasons, of course. God said not to do it. That's enough, right? But Genesis 9, 6 says, God says, Whoever shed man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Murder is wrong because man is made in the image of God. Murder is is an act of hatred against God Himself because man is made in the image of God. So God takes it very personal, right? God takes it very personal if you kill one of His creatures that is made in His image. Uh, If you come by sometime and I was out somewhere and and shooting my gun somewhere and I had a target out there, oh, Jack's out there shooting a target. And uh, you think, well, that's pretty neat. He's shooting a gun, you know, I like guns. And then you go out there and you look at that target and it's got your picture on it. How would you feel about that? You say, he don't like me. <laughs> now, that's not you. But it's an image of you. It's an image of you. You would take it pretty person. We tell you what. We are made in the image of God. And when we have hatred and anger the kind of anger god talks about that is wrong then he takes that personal now i assure you that however personal you may take something like that i assure you it's much more personal than that to god now let me say this not all killing is murder in the very that is clear in the bible God even commanded a time for people to be killed. So all killing is not murder. God didn't say, Thou shalt not murder, and then tell people to go murder. Okay? All killing is not murder in the Bible. Even in Genesis 9 6, where we have that, that we mentioned, it says, We see that because it says that when man's blood is shed, what does it say next? By man his blood shall be shed. And so if a man commits murder, he should be killed for his murder. So, not all killing is murder. That makes sense? I think all of us here would understand that. I would, I would hope so. The law gave a lot of instruction on what was murder and what was justifiable killing that was to be carried out in a judicial way. Now, I'm not going to get into all that, but what I want us to see is that Jesus was teaching that the heart behind murder is wrong. And that's why, when the law would have to kill somebody or you had to defend yourself, as the Bible, the law talks about, uh, it's not murder. Because it matters why somebody was killed. Now, let's work through this real quick. Verse 21. You have heard it said that it was. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whosoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. When when Jesus says, You have heard it said to those of old, He's not teaching against the law. He's not saying, I know it says this in the Old Testament, but I'm here to tell you something different. That's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? He's expanding the law's application that the Pharisees failed to do. They were just, Don't do any murder. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what else it means. You are in danger of judgment, not just if you murder someone, but if you are angry with your brother, he says, without cause, you are in danger of judgment. In verse 22, but I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Rakha, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now we like to justify our anger, though, don't we? We've got to be careful of that. It's very easy to fall in the trap that all anger we have is justifiable anger. In order to justify it, we would likely quickly point out that we do have a cause to be angry. We have a great cause to be angry. Now by Jesus saying this, it it does seem that He is saying that there is an anger we can have that is not sinful. Is there an anger we can have that is not sinful? That's a good question to ask. We should know the answer to that. That's not a trick question. Yes, we can. Does God get angry? Yes. Does God sin? No. So yes, there is an anger that we can have that is not sinful. Um, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalms 7 and verse 11. Now seeing that God is holy and God never sins, there is an anger that is without sin. Paul tells us, be angry and do not sin. So you can be angry and not sin. I, I, I would say this, that if we do not get angry at all, if we do not get angry at all, I would say that we are not being very Christ-like, because there is sin everywhere, I like Henry Ward Beecher who said this, a man who does not know how to be angry does not know how to be good. (laughs) Some things we need to be angry about. But what would be righteous anger though? What would be the right kind of anger? An answer to that is against unrighteousness. If it's going to be righteous anger, then it must be anger that is toward what is unrighteous. What God's Word would say is unrighteous. Matthew Henry summed it up very easy and well. He said, If we would be angry and not sin, we must be angry at nothing but sin. (laughs) I like that. And we should be more jealous for the glory of God than for any interest or reputation of our own. Sometimes we're angry because our pride has been injured. We're angry Because sometimes we're just being selfish and somebody didn't think of us. You know, we're not, we need to be angry over the right things that that are, or the wrong things that are being done, the sinful things uh, that are being done in the world. So, first, in regard to our anger, is it actual sin that upsets us that we're angry about? Because we're zealous for God. Or is it a zeal for self? So I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. Well, I'm just so angry at my wife. I'm so angry at my husband. Well, maybe they have messed up, but how sinful is it that they're doing? And it, But let's go a little bit further than that. Also, if we have justifiable anger, in other words, it is justifiable anger. It is righteous anger. It's something that we can be upset about because it is sinful, whatever this person is doing towards us or towards others, and it upsets you. We still must be careful, even with righteous anger, to not allow it to brew and stew in our heart. Listen, because we are not righteous of ourselves, I think it's hard to hold on to even righteous anger. Just because we have the right to be angry, that does not justify hatred within for others. Even a righteous anger needs to be let go of very quickly. That is why Paul not only said, be angry and do not sin, he followed it up with, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That's the very next thing he says. So we can say, see, I can be angry and not sin. I'm so mad. You know what they did to me last year? (laughs) When? When? There is a justifiable anger, and maybe they did sin. Maybe you should have, and you should be angry maybe about that, upset about it, because it's wrong. It was sinful. But if you don't want to sin in your anger, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, you can't hang on to that. Listen, us as God can have a righteous anger, okay? We're not God. We're not completely holy, and we're not perfect. And Let me tell you what, I have, I have found myself upset at people for something that i should be upset with people over that was righteous i mean it was sinful what they did but i found myself wrong later because i wouldn't let go of it and it created a even though it was a righteous anger it created in me a spirit of bitterness in me so i started off wrong or I started off right but i ended up wrong that make sense We are just not capable of being angry for a righteous reason for a very long period of time, I think. It turns into hatred, which is a murderous heart. In verse 22, um, what we also see in this verse is that the anger Jesus speaks of that qualifies us for judgment is the anger that comes out of our mouth and spews out hateful rhetoric. But see, he's given us some signs of this kind of anger towards our brother that is wrong. Um, you may have cause for your anger, okay? But even having a righteous cause for your anger does not justify hateful words. He says, you hate your brother without cause, but then he says, whoever says to his brother. So even though you have good cause, even be angry... But he who says to your brother Raka or call him a fool, you're in danger too. Raka was, was wrong or calling him a fool was wrong. Raka is an Aramaic word. In English terms, it means things like empty or vain. It'd be like you getting just mad at somebody and aren't trying to simple it down for us. You're getting mad at somebody and say, You're nothing, empty, vain. The word is a word of contempt. It it, it denotes words like senseless, stupid, shallow brains. (laughs) Calling someone a fool would be like saying they are without God, because a fool says there is no God. Even justifiable anger anger does not justify name-calling and insults. And see, sometimes we justify our insults. How? Because we have justifiable anger. I can say this to them because what they did was wrong. So we've got to be careful of that. Should we speak against sin? Absolutely. But when it brews in you and you start spewing out hateful rhetoric and calling people names, you're wrong. Now, So maybe we're not guilty of murdering someone physically, but have we slain them with our mouths? Have we slandered them? Listen to what Paul says to Titus. Speak evil of no one to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various loves, lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. So he's connecting that speaking evil of one another to being hateful. Now one of the ways we can see that our hearts are not right is by the words that come from our mouth. You know, Jesus taught us that, that out of the abundance of the heart, right, the mouth speaks. And, and so whenever our mouth is speaking, these words, it's a sign that our heart is not right. And so the law, you may not have murdered somebody. But if you had the anger that was unjustifiable, or if you had anger that was justifiable that turned into hate because you didn't let go of it and you spewed hateful rhetoric, called them names? See, when you see the law like this, we say, Whoa, I don't just looking at one command, I'm like, I'm not perfect if that's what it's going to take to get to heaven. Well. Jesus is not teaching us how to get to heaven here, okay? He's not saying, well, you, if you, you've got to be perfect right here if you want to get into heaven. He's showing us that, we, one, we don't measure up to the law. The Pharisees didn't really teach the law, though they thought they were keeping it and teaching it. They weren't doing that. But I think he is teaching us a path of righteousness that we as God's people who have the righteousness of Christ judicially before God, that we need to care about the heart. We should seek a righteousness within. Not to be acceptable to God to go to heaven. Not for that at all, but because we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Don't just appear righteous before others. and Well, I don't believe in murder. Murder's wrong. It goes much further than that. Get the hatred out of your heart. Get the hatred out of your heart. In verse 24, and I'll close with this. With Jesus saying what He does in verse 24, we see that even true worshipers of God even true worshipers of God can have things come between themselves, you know, between one another. And if they want to worship God, they must always seek to be reconciled to one another. First, be reconciled to your brother, Jesus says. Then bring your gift. This shows the urgency, urgency. How often do we go to worship? Well, at the very minimal, once a week, right? Right? very minimal so yeah your anger shouldn't last towards your brother longer than a week get it right dingo worship so you see you can't hang on to it you can't you you can't hang on to it it will affect how you worship god matter of fact it will hinder your worship of god we cannot properly worship god while holding on to hatred or anger toward one another God will not accept a worship toward him while I have a hatred toward our brother that is made in the image of God. We cannot love God and hate our brother. You can't do those two things at the same time. And neither should we call him a fool and make him godless, not a brother, in order to justify our hatred. Sometimes it's the well others about God, so I can hate him. You can't say that. Listen, none of us measure up to the letter or the spirit of the law. We are not perfect, but Jesus was on our behalf. Let us as his followers who stand righteous in Christ seek after a righteousness on the inside and remove all hatred from our hearts. All that anger, you'll be a whole lot happier too when you let it go. There is joy in and letting go of the anger, God help us. Father, use this lesson tonight for Your honor and for Your glory. Help us to seek after, Lord, a righteousness within to rid our hearts of the evil of devices uh, of Satan. How he so often wants us to be angry and and with one another because when we're being angry with each other, we're, we're not loving each other like we should and not reconciling, not forgiving. And so, Father, help us to get rid of that. And, and Lord, it's, um, we know that uh, you're a just God and, and we know that you, you will take care of all unrighteousness. It's not in our hands to, to, to be vengeful. It's not in our hands to measure out justice. That is your job. And you, you have taken that upon yourself and we are thankful for that. Help us, Lord, to be forgiving, to reconcile with one another. Help us to remove any hatred uh, within our hearts or anger. Uh, Lord, even if we're angry about things we should be angry about, Lord, let us us seek reconciliation. Let us seek the forgiveness. Let us go. Let us be reconciled. And uh, Father, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, not to allow those things to brew and stew in our hearts and to breed bitterness, uh, Lord, within us. Help us to worship you, for you are worthy, and help us to love one another. In Jesus' name and amen.